How you doing? It's been a minute. It has yes. been a minute. It's Welcome season back. three. It's season three. Welcome everybody, and thank you for coming back or joining us for the first time. Wow. Yeah, this is the the beginning of season three for us. In the first season, we covered ten playwrights. In the second season, we covered twelve playwrights, plus a lot of bonus material. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In this season, we're covering I think twelve again. Is that correct? Ye- Maybe ten. Yes. No, I think it's a dozen. I thought it I was think it's a dozen. dozen. But a we're baker's doing... dozen if you count the two today. Oh, that's right. But I will tell you this. We're doing something a little different. I don't know that we talked fully about this in the season announcement, but we're, we're going to start expanding these miniseries out a little bit. We're going to post mm-hmm. three of them instead of two, and we're going to do a play each week rather than talking about one and a half the first week and one and a half the second week. We're going to give you some more of each playwright. It gives us a chance to get a little deeper into their whole chronology of works it gives us a chance to just like kind of have more fun dick around more uh, but you'll be getting a little bit shorter episodes uh but you'll get to spend more time with the playwright that's kind of yeah. nice right yeah isn't that nice feels I like good it. I like good it. mouthfeel nice. good change yeah. it also hey, paces us better it does it does that's yeah. true you know because... we've we we've let go of a lot of bits on this podcast and i just want to bring one back okay just one of them uh-huh. That mouths and butts <laughs> are, are the, same. the same thing. It's I less think... a bit and more just a actual reality. A statement of fact. Bits Empirical have... fact. Yeah, Empirical they can fact. live and die and come back, and it's all good. They're like Jesus. Keela, what are your thoughts on <laughs> buttholes and mouths being like Jesus? I think Rogers and Hammerstein would be totally for this conversation because, after all, <laughs> they wrote about sex and violence. That's right. You know, they're not rolling in their graves. In fact, they're probably tap dancing to this right now because this is this is uh, a, an, an amazing conversation. But thank you, Keila, for bringing us back to the reason why we're here because <laughs> welcome to season three of Theater Theater, the theater podcast for theater nerds made by three theater makers from the LA theater scene. I'm Jay Bailey Burcham. I'm CJ Merriman. And I'm Scott Leggett. And each week we get together and discuss, debate, and disseminate the evolutions of the great playwrights by taking a macro look at three of their plays. And this is part one of three of our mini series covering the works of Rogers and Hammerstein. That's right. 
It's South Pod Civic. <laughs> I haven't gotten to do one of those in a long time. We'll be covering <laughs> we'll be covering Carousel, South Pacific, and The King and I. Mm. Yes. We we're not talking sound of music, but I will say uh, we've already covered Oklahoma previously because we, we covered the movie, which you can go back and listen to our thoughts on that. We don't have great ones, but I will, <laughs> they're good thoughts. They're just we don't and we we don't like it. If you uh, like Oklahoma, <laughs> right? But you but, talk about how it was revolutionary. In yes, the and we do we do discuss, and I'm sure we'll get into that this time. The fact okay. that it is musicals before Oklahoma and musicals after Oklahoma mm. is sort of the dividing line, right? So we'll, we'll get into that. But but this week, you've already heard his voice because he's incredible and knows how to be a good guest on a podcast. We are beyond honored, honored once again honored. to be joined, honored, honored by a dear friend of mine, an actor of stage and screen with an MFA and acting from Columbia University. You may have heard him on our David Henry Huang episode last season, a brilliant... Br- I'm going to start over. A brilliant brilliantly lovely Packett. human and a huge musical theater nerd. It's Keela Packet, everybody. Give him love. Yeah. His name back. is Mr. Packet. And an ordinary man is he. <laughs> and he's beautiful and we love him and we stand a legend. Thank We're you. Here. It is an honor to be here. It's a new year. Uh, new new year, new uh, you. Honor, honor is a big word. <laughs> <laughs> but thank it you. It is a pleasure <laughs> and an honor. You are all incredible. I love listening to your uh, other stories about plays and playwrights. And there's no other podcast in the world, really, that does what you do. So I'm just happy to be here and shoot the shit about some of my two favorite writers. We love that. We appreciate that. Yeah, so, I mean, why don't we just hop on into it? Let's get into it, because, and I want to start with you, Keila. Like, you're a big theater nerd like me, a big musical theater nerd like me. We, every time we're together, we end up talking musical theater. It's kind of just, it just happens, and it's usually pretty organic. Like, it just comes up somehow, and we're like, oh, yeah, let's talk about that. And then, we'll be you know, in, We'll be in Kenya, and then you'll be like, <laughs> did I tell you the time when I was in South Pacific? At... <laughs> exactly. Yeah, in there's Kansas. been a lot of those. Uh, all over the world, we have discussed <laughs> R&H and, and musical theater in general. But I just figured this was the perfect miniseries to have you back on for. I know you were just on very recently, but I, you and I really see things similarly but you have way more experience with a lot of these things than i do so i just i'm i'm excited to hear your context what is your context with rnh as a performer as a, a a lover of musicals all that well i remember my mom had the lp of oklahoma mm. and i was not interested because i was like that seems like an adult musical it doesn't seem fun. It's not like an, not like an Annie or yeah, like it's a, boring. You know, Joseph and the Ameri- Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. Yeah, it's Joseph and the American Technicolor Dreamcoat is the one that came <laughs> That's out. That's the one that should be made. Yeah, America. that's all right. Speaking yeah. of experts, <laughs> when are we writing this? <laughs> and um, yeah, oh, I think yeah. I honestly think the uh, the earliest musicals like Oklahoma. And Carousel and South Pacific, South Pacific to be specific, we're all South falling apart. Pacific, yeah, Pacific, <laughs> uh, didn't inter- interest me as much because I grew up listening to the Sound of Music, right? As I think probably most most people did, and that really became like the you know um, 
the one other than the other music schools that I listened to because of my mother, she had Funny Girl and of course Annie and Cabaret, which was a little kind of uh, edgy for me as a kid. Mm. It really Mm, kind sure, of sure, uh, yeah. scared me seeing Joel Grey uh, <laughs> in that get up as, of as course. a young uh, kindergartner. But Correct. for some reason, Julie Andrews' golden voice singing about larks praying and, um, you know, hills being alive The angel uh, and that is Julie Andrews, and yeah. Yes, of course. And that high note that she hits at the end of Do Re Mi, I was Mm -hmm. So good. captured, captured. And she Yeah. points to the sky and all that stuff. And they're, you know, performing in Vienna and this and that. And I had grown up in Germany. So I had gone on the Sound of Music tour in Salzburg Cool. and seen the church and seen a lot of the, um, the sea, you know, the hills and, uh, churches and, 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 and graveyards where they actually had filmed um, some of the scenes. So yeah, it, it, it's very, very close to me. And of course, uh, it's easy to sing. <laughs> Sure. yeah ish <laughs> <laughs> ish yeah, I, you know, it is kind of, um, it's interesting that we, like, when I look back on the things that I watched as a child and the things that I love now, Sound of Music was a huge one for me. And now when I watch it, I'm always a little bit like, oh, yeah, there's like all the Nazi stuff at the end. yeah You know what I mean? Like the back half of this well is really after dark. the Yeah, after the, after the, you know, High on the Hill was a lonely goat herd scene Right. with the puppets and marionettes, Just kidding. I really kind of lost interest because I was like, wait, this Sure. is getting a little too serious for me. And then there's like the love scene in the gazebo. Um, Right. you know, there's something in my youthful childhood. I must have done something good. And I'm like, mommy, can we rewind it back to the marionettes? <laughs> yeah yeah exactly i agree um uh, cj what was your sort of context with r and arch Um, well, I was a huge Sound of Music fan because in fifth grade, I played Brigida in the High School Musical. That's okay me. there Um, we go now, the year before was my first big role ever. I played Tootie Smith in Meet Me in St. Louis. there And you I go was so yes excited to be in Sound of Music, but I remember being slightly annoyed that my part was so much smaller. <laughs> um, but uh, so I was always a massive Sound of Music fan. I literally, I watch it every year at Christmas. It's for whatever reason is a Christmas movie to me. Um, and I remember when I found out at the age of 10 that Julie Andrews was the lead in Sound of Music, I loved it even more because I was a huge Mary Poppins fan. Like Julie Oh, yeah. Andrews is the reason why I sing. Yes. Um, and then... Really, I, I mean, my parents always talked about when they dated, when they were first dating, they saw a lot of musical theater get, theater together. So they saw Yul Brenner in King and I. I Yes. think he did a tour of it. My my parents as well in Oh, Kansas I City. love it. They also saw Robert Goulet in Camelot. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, yeah, that was huge. It was huge. There's <laughs> a whole period of that. uh, but then another, really the only other big uh, R&H thing for me was Cinderella. Uh, my mom got, because of course I always did the Disney Cinderella growing up, but then my mom was like, you know, there's another Cinderella. And then we watched that version of it. And I, I vaguely remember when I first started singing lessons, I sang the song in my own little corner from that musical. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah, Were totally. you specifically watching the Brandy Whitney Houston <laughs> one? There were, they made one in like the 80s or yeah. 90s or something. I Right. haven't seen the Brandy Whitney Houston one. So, and I highly I haven't recommend seen the it. Julie, I, I just looked it up. Julie Andrews played Cinderella in the original film of that. So Right, I haven't yes. watched that. And then uh, Leslie Ann Warren. Mm-hmm. Ooh, Right, yeah. okay. Yes. Uh, Scott, R&H? 
Yeah, like when I was thinking about it, I'm like, oh my God, I really do have a lot of uh, experience with it. I, the first show, the first, my first opportunity uh, in terms of directing was that I assistant directed a production of The King and I, mm -hmm. uh, which we'll get into when we get into The King and I, because I have some hilariously racist stories uh, regarding that. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Um, Racism's yeah. so funny. So funny. <laughs> we love um, it. But, like, I look back and just, like, I cringe about it. Um, then I uh, assistant directed a production of Oklahoma, um, a, like a big one, and then was in Carousel, all within, like, all, like, doing summer stock. Like, it was you all, like, a see. cluster. Yeah, so. Wow. Uh, and then my favorite family dog was named <laughs> was named Brinner um, okay. because when we saw him as a puppy in the pet store all the puppies were going crazy and as we sort of walked across he was standing sort of wide stanced like really proud and strong and my mom was like he looks like Yul Brenner from the king and i so we named him Brenner. um wow, and then, yeah and so um yeah and then i had um the king and i the film was the first and i was very young but it was the first retro film that i saw in a theater um uh, i grew up on military bases and they would sometimes just show random movies that they would get prints of and one of them was the king and i so like when I was like six or seven, like we all went to see it on the big screen. And I was like, holy crap. Um, Beautiful. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. For me, it was, you know, I'm sure Sound of Music was the first thing I was introduced to. That was R and H. But the first time I remember hearing the words, the names, Rogers and Hammerstein was before Cinderella. Rodgers and Hammerstein, Cinderella, starring Brandy and Whitney Houston. Mm -hmm. And I was like, great. And I was all in for it. <laughs> and I watched it on TV every time. It and I was obsessed with it. Like, right. absolutely right, right, right. loved it. There's I was also, songs you know, in it. Oh, the great songs. I mean, yeah, it's fantastic. And they did a good job of modernizing it and really diverse cast and very fun. And, like, I... I uh, I, I enjoy it even still. They put it on Disney Plus recently and I watched it. And I was like, yes, I see why I loved this as a child. Um, but then very quickly after that came out, I was cast as one of the mice in a production in Wichita of Cinderella. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm in the thing that I love um, and felt like really deeply in love with it. And then... Uh, and I have like a lot of memories of that time, actually, of like being in that show. It was like my first true thing I was ever in and I, I have a lot of memories of like putting on tights for the first time and like weird shit but then um, growing up I fell more in love with a lot of their work uh, if you had asked me in high school if I liked Oklahoma or South Pacific or even cares well, actually any of them I probably would have been like no RNH is fucking stupid just because I was trying to be cool or whatever and I was like a big Spring Awakening head. You know what I mean? Like I was like, yeah, well, Spring yeah, Awakening's yeah. what's really cool. But in college, I really found them again and found a love for them again. And I, my first ever equity contract was at Music Theater Wichita. I got cast as Luther Billis in South Pacific. Mm. I was mm. making over 1200 a week. What? It was awesome. So nice. That's great. Uh, Everyone is that a Lord, else is that a Lord A? 
Yeah, it's a big. I mean, it's a five thousand seat house, and you know, it's there's a, there, pictures of him online. There's, there's pictures, pictures of me all over the place on my Instagram and everything. Yeah, awesome. Broadway World. That's true. If you look me up, that's the first picture I think that comes up is me with my like Patty Lapone arms up in the air, um, <laughs> doing an Avita moment. But I, <laughs> there's nothing like a dame, you know. Um, <laughs> but it's, it's really, it's really angry, Bailey. Um, yeah, it's, it we... is angry. It's, <laughs> I played Billis with a bit of anger. No, but I will say, you know, and um, I it, it, it like changed my life, like in so many ways, because not only was it was the Lincoln Center production set. So Lincoln Center had just done it, what, three years before or was it Kennedy Center? No, it was Lincoln Center. Um, and it won the uh, best revival, best revival, best revival. And it yeah. also won best set design that year. Mm-hmm. And that set, we just took the set. And put it on our stage, so it was beautiful, like mm. absolutely incredible. Uh, it it was the you know I mean everybody has that like one show that like really locked it in for them is like oh I could do this though yeah. like for real yeah. not just like have a degree in it and go play pretend I could do this and I that was this for me so South Pack was huge for me I can't wait to talk about it I think mm. there's so much to talk about there um, but since then I've just been kind of in love with their work i like uh looking back on it i like talking about it i like discussing it i try to see i should i shouldn't say that i was gonna say i try to see things when they go up but there's always an rnh in every regional theater season and and i don't know that i've seen one that was good in years Mm -hmm. so um i've seen some stripped down versions of things that i really liked uh my dear friend kirsten chandler who we should have on the show uh she directed a really stripped down version in san diego a few years ago that was awesome Hmm. um of south pacific sorry yeah um but i think it needs something like that now these shows kind of need a director to really take them and do something new unless you have the big budget to do it how they used to do it you know Mm -hmm. um so there's a lot to Mm -hmm. talk about here there's a lot even even more to talk about about rnh themselves but the way we do that here we have a little segment that i like to call scottpedia scottpedia Scottpedia. Tell us about yourself. Did one of them hit their significant others? Right. (laughs) What? Did one or both of them hit their significant others? Uh, Let's find out. (laughs) I was shocked Uh, to find that one of them hit on others. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Right. I was shocked to find that they met. But uh, also, well, go ahead. Doing uh, (laughs) doing the Muay Thai uh, kickboxing circuit in the 1940s. It's not true. Yeah. Just I'm I'm just lying. Just God damn it. You're a liar. All right. Uh, so I got a chunk of stuff because there's 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 a little bit to cover here, and I want to make sure that we're doing due diligence. Uh, but Richard Charles Rogers was born June 28th, 1902. He passed away on December 30th, 1979. He was an American composer known largely for his work in musical theater with 43 Broadway mus- musicals and over 900 songs to his credit. Rogers was one of the most significant American composers of the 20th century, and his compositions had a significant influence on popular music. Oscar Greeley Clendenning Hammerstein II. Whoa. And Wikipedia is <laughs> telling me it's Hammerstein. 
It's Hammersteinen. Hammerstein. It's Stein. Stein. Yeah. Um, but he was born July twelfth, eighteen ninety-five, and passed away on August twenty-third, nineteen sixty. Uh, he was an American lyricist, librettist, theatrical producer, and usually uncredited director in the musical theater for almost 40 years. He won eight Tony Awards and two Academy Awards for Best Original Song. Rogers was originally known for his partnership with lyricist Lorenz Hart. The duo wrote Larry. Several... <laughs> Call him Larry. Larry Hart. Larry, Larry Hart. Uh, the duo wrote several hit shows for both Broadway and London from the 1920s through early 1940s. Among the most notable are Jumbo, On Your Toes, uh, which featured uh, a dream ballet called Slaughter on the 10th Avenue uh, by oh. George Balanchine. George Balanchine choreographed it. Uh, Babes uh. in Arms, I Married an Angel, The Boys from Syracuse, Pal Joey, which is probably my favorite of the... Uh, Rogers and Hart collection, uh, and their last original work by Jupiter. Um, by the early 1940s, Hart had sunk deep into alcoholism and emotional turmoil, and he became unreliable, prompting Rogers to approach Hammerstein to ask if he could consider working with him. They had met while students at Columbia University. Hey! hey. Uh, and collaborated on the 1920 varsity show called Fly With Me. Uh, the songs for the show were originally written by Rogers and Hart, um, who were both freshmen at the time. But Hammerstein stepped in. He was on this judging committee, and he added two songs in the revising of the of, of the show. Uh, although Rogers did not work with Hammerstein again until Oklahoma, they achieved success independently from each other. Uh, Rogers and Hammerstein reworked the musical theater genre. Early 20th century musicals were usually whimsical or farcical and typically built around a star. Because of the efforts of Rogers and Hammerstein, uh, because those efforts were so successful, Successful. Many musicals that followed contained thought-provoking plots with mature themes and in which all the aspects of the play, dance, song, drama, were all combined in an integrated whole. Stephen Sondheim, you may have heard of him, has cited Rodgers and Hammerstein as having a crucial influence on all of his work. Rodgers and Hammerstein also uh, used the technique of what some call the formula musical, while some hail this approach, others criticize it for its predictability. The term formula musical may refer to a musical with a predictable plot, but it also refers to the casting requirements of Rodgers and Hammerstein characters. Typically, any musical from this team will have the casting of a strong baritone lead, a dainty and light soprano lead, a supporting lead tenor, and a supporting alto lead. Although uh, these are exceptions, there are exceptions to this generalization, it simplified the audition process for the over the years well it's almost uh, become like a comedia thing right where it's like you got your stock characters and we fulfill you know a story with those characters and it's like an easy formula and i can see that being something that people look down on but you know at the time yeah, changing I the would, game no, no, they, they i would do. also argue yeah. although this is definitely style too i would also say it um fits with their musical numbers too because there are so many musical numbers in the things that i have watched thus far that i'm like oh this sounds an awful lot like uh climb every mountain from sound of music or oh, yeah. you know what i mean oh, yeah. Yeah, their yeah, their their formula is definitely sometimes. agreed, and I think there's also some like a side of that that, and I'll talk about more, more about this, um, but to kind of compare it to Pasek and Paul or like Greatest Showman, there is a bit of like engineering here, mm -hmm, a bit of like mm -hmm. engineering to make oh, you sure. feel something, right? Some manipulation. Some but manipulation. Check, but check out what it yielded. They won. Oh sure. <laughs> their shows won 34 Tony Awards, 15 mm. Academy Awards. 
two Pulitzer Prizes, and two Grammy Awards. Um, two Emmys. Were, the, and and two right. Emmys. Yeah, yeah. Rogers was the first to get the EGOT, I think. Wow. I, wow. Ever? I think he was the first ever to get the EGOT. Wow. That's but cool. he did it like in 1965. Like yeah, way before nuts. we were even talking about it. Yeah. Yeah. Then Rita Moreno. Then Rita Moreno. Right, right. Wow, incredible. Okay, well, cool. Well, so that's them. You know, something that's interesting, too, that I had heard a long time ago is that um, Rogers and Hart were, like, best friends. And when the alcoholism and stuff started really getting to Hart, I think there was... and. There, there was it was more difficult to work with him as you said Scott but they would work in the room together and would like bounce off each other and drink and do all this stuff when Rogers went to Hammerstein he was basically like this is all the things that didn't work about working with my best friend hmm. so they kind of purposely kept their relationship not super tight-knit so that they weren't ever like stepping on each other, uh, 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 you know, each relationship kind of stepping on itself. But then they also didn't work in the same room. Hammerstein would write the lyrics, give them to Rogers, and then Rogers would would yeah. write the music, and then they'd get back together and, and compare notes. But it's kind of interesting that that way worked better and ended up yielding so much profound art from it than then it was like working with your best friend and just like having fun making stuff. And I think, I mean, I, it taught me a little lesson when I heard that it's, it made me really think about like, do you always want to collaborate with just your best yes men? Or do you want to like collaborate with the people who maybe are kind of sometimes push your buttons? I I will say my junior year, the, well, and I don't know if they do it the same way at conservatory. Now at Webster, we would have a big musical and we'd have a small musical and our small musical might, junior year and this was when we still had the dean of musical theater that was like in the original off-broadway cast of the fantastics we did a rogers and hart showcase for the small musical Mm. and (laughs) the musical theater kids were so pissed off (laughs) they were like who gives a shit about rogers and hart (laughs) but they did i mean they didn't i that's really interesting that you bring that up bailey because i had read that they really viewed their partnership as a nine to five thing. Yeah. They kept to a very regimented schedule. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it, like you said, in, in how they worked t- together, it was clocking in and clocking out and they, they got heated and they had their, you know, you know, any artistic conflict, you know, as they went along, but it was, it was a very uh, professional arrangement that changed theater forever. I mean, it changed and, it forever. And, since they had had, you know, 20 years of success uh, with different collaborators, um, you know, by the time they were middle-aged men, they were kind of at a crisis. And it was kind of just a perfect opportunity for them to start working together uh, creatively. Um, Hammerstein was kind of the, uh, he had a legacy of people in the business. His grandfather was probably the most famous opera and theater um, producer, Mm. impresario in the world at the time. And so it was just kind of in his background. And also when um, they finally got together, um, Rogers realized that Hammerstein was the, um, was pushing the form, was like the real sure. serious theater maker, especially with what he did with Jerome Kern and Showboat. Mm, yeah. Mm. And that I in 1920s. That was, that so was, much. Yeah. 
that was, was kind of first, that was the first definitely. yeah it was the first it was the first favorites. serious subject but it was also the first time that black and white performers performed on the same stage together yeah so and that's a whole story that's that. its own whole oh, yeah. interesting we'll, story we'll i mean that you know because sure. they had to they literally had to get like the city to change like laws so that they could be totally, physically totally behind right. stage at the same time it was crazy but also to piggyback what bailey was saying Hammerstein, Hammerstein uh, would give the lyrics to Richard Rodgers, who also, uh, in between his work with Larry Hart, um, felt that he wanted to go back to school and learn more about composition. So he actually was like studying mm -hmm. more the Romantics, the Tchaikovsky's, the Brahms, the Rachmaninoff's. So by the time he got to Hammerstein, had a much more elevated ear and just capacity of composition. And, and you can totally and hear great. that. Yeah, too. you can hear it. Oh, and then yeah. when when Hammerstein gives him the lyrics, he says, "Look, I want you to I want to do the lyrics first because in a way Rogers was then able to compose based on the characters' feelings, their desires, their darkness mm -hmm. first." Which right. is kind of cool. Instead of doing it, uh, you know, in simpatico, there is more of a weighted, um, you know, like for as an actor's, an actor's dream. There's just much more of a subtext there before the music is even started. It's like Agreed. An analog Bernie and Elton John. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> huh? Yeah. <laughs> That's kind of true. All right. Yeah. Or Tim Rice and Andy Weber. Yeah, there you go. Andy um, Weber. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, I will say, you know, I think what's really interesting, and this is this goes to what you're saying too, Kilo, but they were also, I don't know that like, I say this, but literature had already done this, but like on stage, we're, we're not really talking about like anti-heroes yet, right? Like, I mean, no. I guess you have characters that fulfill that in some ways, like I guess... In film, I guess at the time you have like the tramp character, and so you know you have Chaplin, I guess, doing a little bit of like a anti-hero. Could you call that an anti-hero though? I don't know because he's not like a complicated figure. I mean, right. Chaplin is because he's a pedophile, but 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 like outside of that, it's sort of like the character wasn't necessarily. So like, I I do think what they're doing with almost all of their musicals, but especially not so much with um, Sound of Music, obviously, but especially with Carousel and South Pacific, what they're doing with their quote-unquote hero is something that I think people even now, and I think we'll get into this, have trouble with even with movies that come out now, with plays that come out now. Licorice Pizza is creating a lot of controversy um, over some of its content, but I think people aren't really actually watching it for what it is, and people aren't really, you know, that kind of stuff. So I want to get into that. I want to talk about it. I think we should move on to to the first thing we're talking about because this is a great example of this um a, a very uh, debated musical something that a lot of people have really strong feelings on about hatred for it some people like really stand up for it some people uh don't give a fuck and just say it should, you know who cares and it should be deleted or whatever i <laughs> have a lot of opinions on this musical but i want to get into it the way that we normally start this though is uh by singing the overture? We sing the entirety of the overture, and then... About 27 reminded minutes. me of ragtime. That's going to be in my head for weeks now. And then Keela and I are going to sing If I Loved You. 
Yes. Um, I'll be Billy, you be Julie. <laughs> it's one um, of my favorite scores, so I, I definitely... The score is phenomenal. All. Anyway, but we, we want to know kind of what it's about, um, but from the perspective of our very own co-host, CJ Merriman, in something we like to call... <laughs> CJ's Breakdown. Break it down. Yes. A young, impressionable Julie meets a brooding, jobless asshole named Billy and blindly falls in love in New England in the late 1800s. They marry way too quickly and move in with slash live off of her cousin. Billy begins to take out his insecurities on Julie by hitting her until he finds out she's pregnant. During a botched robbery, Billy falls on his own knife, dies, and goes to some weird star-polishing afterlife. Fifteen Earth years later, he's allowed to return for one day and see that he's left behind a daughter who he also hits before she graduates from high school. But it's all good. He hit her out of love. Let's all sing about how we're never alone. Yes. So that everything you set up until the final line, everything you set up until the final line is empirical fact. That is what the musical is about. You know what I mean? I, the final line is opinion. But I, I do think... I, I think it's worth talking about. I think yes. there's like so much here because the question I think that rises with this musical, and this is what I want to talk about with y'all and hear your opinions on, is is this musical trying to say it's okay, abuse is okay, and it, he's, he actually really loves you, or is it trying to do what a lot of plays and movies do, or it was, you know, were they not smart enough for this? I don't know. Where it's trying to show the complicated figure, and it's trying to show us like... These are the ways that people use defense mechanisms against this thing. These are the ways that this that society treats this kind of stuff. Now, I've seen productions of Carousel where I don't think they handled it well at all, and I walked out angry, and I was like, fuck this thing. But I've had enough people sit down with me and be like, Bailey, let me tell you why you're wrong, that I now see it in a totally different light. Do I want to produce it anytime soon? Not necessarily. But, like, I want to hear y'all's thoughts. Uh, we kind of know CJ's thoughts, even though I want to give you more space to talk. Yeah, yeah. But Keelan and Scott, like, what are okay. your, what were your, like, initial... Well, they, before, uh, they didn't have Moria Povich and Jerry Springer in 1945, and this was how they, how they, how they did it. You know, why are you still with that man? Because I love him, even yeah. though he beat me. Yeah. Exactly. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead, Scott. Uh, I was just no. I I I remember doing it, and while doing it, going, this fucking play is weird. This show is weird. Like it's just kind of odd. Like, and and I love the music and several of the songs, but when you and and then in doing research and finding out about the source material and all that, it kind of dodges the original source material was was very political uh it was a very similar story almost are we talking like, about lilium yeah lilium i'm sorry um and it's which was written in like 1909 and um it's very and, european and mm -hmm. very european set in budapest <laughs> it in many ways um and i just most recently rewatched the film which i think is awful um uh, other than a few <laughs> moments, I think it's it's just not a well directed. There's there's static shots during the. Ba I don't get it. But anyway, um, but I think it. it I haven't it, seen it the movie in years, but we should, we'll talk to we'll talk about it. Yeah. Um, so it, it, when you take away the political aspect, which talked a lot about society and, uh, and men and women, but also um, power structures and wealth and and you know factory owners and that kind of thing when you kind of take that away then i i'm not 
now, today, I'm not fully sure what I'm supposed to get from it. So I'm interested to go more, go deeper, Bailey, in terms of the things that you've heard and talked about, because I just don't, I just don't know. I just don't know. There's part of it that's like, oh, this is a redemption story. No, he's never redeemed. He goes back, you know, I don't know. I have very mixed feelings about it. I kind of feel like I watched. (laughs) You're allowed to. Yeah. I watched the movie from 1956, I believe. The Shirley Jones one? Yes. The Shirley and Jones. Then I watched... Mrs. Partridge. And I'm going to then... be honest, I've never finished that movie. I, I get about halfway through and then I go, right. it's almost, I've never seen it. It's yeah. almost exactly the same as the actual play. They just switch it up a tiny bit and they right. leave out a couple songs. And then last night, I finally subscribed to Broadway HD. Yay. And I watched the, the 2000... O'Hara. I watched the 2013... It was in the Lincoln Center with the New York Philharmonic. And I was like, okay, because here's my thing. Oh, yes, yes, yes. yes. So I Wait, that's I, not the Kelly O'Hara one then, right? I think it was. I think her name yes. popped up. Oh, no, yeah, you're Jesse, right. It is Jesse Mueller. Jesse Mueller plays Carrie. Yes. Yes. Stephanie Blythe plays Nettie. Uh, yeah. And Audra McDonald introduces it. Because um, she played Carrie in like 93 or something. She won something the Tony like in 95. Oh, 95. Her okay. first of six. Thank you, yeah. Keela. <laughs> um I think, and this is what I was waiting for. I understand why the film was done the way it was in 1956 and the way that the abuse is viewed and how it's handled. Um, I think you can do this musical now and you don't have to change anything. It just needs to be directed and the intention needs to be different. Agreed. And it Because it's a timeless story about an abusive relationship. It's a timeless story about, you know, poverty and struggling and trying to make things work and people not handling it the right way. Yeah. It's just, how is it presented? And then because, you know, Scott, you were talking about it being a story of redemption. Well, it's not redemption because he never owns up to a single oh, bad no, thing. I that don't he think, does. no, I, no, I know, but, but I don't think, I don't think it is. I, that's why I don't know what it is. It's right, an anti-hero right. and to character. Me, that's but... why it's not a story of redemption because he never does apologize for it or say, you know what? Every time people ask him about it, he's like, why is everyone saying I beat her? And he he's he gets aggro about it. Yeah. So like, I think it, I and that's what I was waiting for, for the 2013 version of it. I was like, maybe they'll, you know, call it up front and, and it isn't some like, sad love story at the end it's it's a realistic sad story and of mm-hmm. of someone that deals with something that a lot of people deal with in their lives yeah i everyone should go look i didn't write them down i should have but kelly o'hara has some really incredible quotes about playing julie and mm. her thoughts on it because she's her voice genius is beautiful it, yeah she's incredible and she's also <clears throat> played nelly she played nelly in the lincoln center south pacific with danny burstein and you know all saw that. it, and it did you? Incredible. Cool. Um, that set was the one that I was that I was on. But it that is Nelly, another character who we'll talk about next week. It, someone who you fall. It's the brilliant thing about that musical is you fall deeply in love with Nelly, and then at the end of Act One, she goes, "Oh, by the way, I'm a racist," and we all have to go, "Wait, what? <laughs> I loved you," mm-hmm. and it t- changes all of Act Two, and the whole time you're kind of like, "I don't know," but then it ends up being about her like having to you know uh come to grips with that a little bit and that's why south pacific works because it's it now you can still put it up now i mean the bloody mary character that's another thing we'll talk about that later but 
but besides <laughs> that, <laughs> you, but, but besides that, I think the point of the musical is in the right mind, right? It, it, and I think Carousel is doing less of what South Pacific does, where it is trying to make you then really love the, and it does. But ending still makes you want to. It wants you to like Billy. Yes. I don't. Mm-mm. A 2020 audience, a 2021 audience, 2022, whoa, 2022 <laughs> audience would not like Billy. We just won't. Like, I, you won't convince us to like Billy. So you're right, CJ. I think there has to, you have to have a really adept director. And I know a director, um, I won't say her name because I don't, I, I haven't talked to her too much about this, but she's actually pitching to me tomorrow her take on Carousel. Because she's <gasps> cool. like, I have this take. I was kind of hoping we would record this after so I could hear her take, but I'll talk about it next week. But she was just sort of like, I I think there's something to this. And and the way she explained it to me was really interesting. Um, can I read something real quick yeah. that was sent to me by someone who I will not mention, but they wanted to make sure that I read this. Um, friend of the pod, someone who does listen. Uh, this is what they had to say about Carousel. Okay, one second. Sorry. Uh I believe that this musical is a lot more nuanced than most people give it credit for. As someone who has been in, a, in an abusive relationship, I can say that a lot of Julie's dialogue is accurate to how it feels to be in that situation. The last thing you want to believe is that someone you care deeply about can hurt you, especially when they do lay their hands on you. It's a pretty common defense mechanism to either deny it or to try to justify it. Another key element of this show is seeing the abuser's perspective. I think too often people don't try to understand why someone would hit someone they love in the first place. While it's definitely not con condonable and abusers do need to be held accountable for their actions, I believe that trying to unravel the reasons behind why any abuser does what they do is a key element in stopping this vicious cycle. They go on and they talk about Kelly O'Hara. Um, actually, here, they give a Kelly O'Hara quote. Um, said in an inter interview that Julie chooses to deal with this it is real and existing and a very complicated thing and exploring it in, is an important part of healing it. Uh, that wasn't the quote that I read earlier that was really good about it, but that's a quote about it. But I get what she's saying. And uh, all that to say like, CJ, you're right. Like, I think, I think it's, <sighs> you had a point that I now have forgotten. That was really smart. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to cut all this out. No, uh, no, no, don't cut it. it. No, keep it, it. It's in the music. It's in the lyrics of what's the use of wondering. Um, there's a lot of foreshadowing in this musical, you know. Common sense will tell you that the ending will be sad. He's your fella and you love him. Then all the rest is talk. It's just about the simplicity of you actually have someone who has they've only they're the only one who has given you the time of day and this you know you've got to like walk through it together you know right if i loved you foreshadowing it it's just like there we know what the we know the ending is is going to be is going to be horrible but i think um there aren't many perfect songs in my opinion i think i think um back to sound of music um my favorite things is a perfect song, and I think the soliloquy from Carousel is a perfect song because mm, mm. it gives you that gray area of Billy. He, yes, he's a brute. He, whatever he did, I mean, 
By the way, it's only mentioned that he did it. We don't really know. And, um, mm. and he's kind of coming to terms with the fact that, look, what if, you know, I, I want a boy, but what if it's a girl? Like, I really have to change my attitude, you know? So he really changes before your eyes in the soliloquy. And I think it's, it's one of those kind of gray areas that's, that's sung, sung, you know, the character has to sing this because he's changing. Right. And so I, if you're going to go ahead, Siege. Well, I just that other song too, where he's talking about if it's a son or a daughter, I think that's another thing that is interesting in this day and age too, is about like the, the weird gender norms that we put mm -hmm. on kids before they're even fucking born. I mean, that's sure. another thing. Totally. That is another interesting thing yeah. that you could but do. But there's a whole gender played with the clam bake, June's busting all over, which is basically like By the way, shots. I didn't need a fucking song about a fucking clam bake, y'all. <laughs> thing, it's all, it's all innuendo. They're being like, it's spring and yes. we're all trying it's, to fuck each other. It's very it's erotic. erotic. I guess everyone's it's, horny in June. Yeah. It's very, it's very erotic. I'm I horny in June. Guys, yeah. They're pushing the envelope. <laughs> Rogers and Hammerstein, they're pushing, they're pushing the envelope, no and pun intended. And, and, and often doing it in a clever way. I think that what and, and and I think the film is what's tripping me up and then the production that I was in, which is was just cheesy as shit. And it's not cheesy. I think that I, I'm interested how people on on directors modern takes on it because I feel like the only way really to pull it off is to lean into the darkness of it when you can. But yeah. then you hate him more than you. There's one moment. He has one moment of, of contrition uh, in with the stargazer guy where he's like, uh, I know, I know what I did. Like, he, but that's it. Like it's, it's as far as it goes. And, and people are like, Oh, well you could cut this and that and that. If you start cutting things though, then you're starting to, to change it. So, for example, my gut instinct was you cut the the final, his slapping of the daughter at the end, and then mm. that can then then him going to the graduation, which Rogers and Hammerstein they sweated they needed to because the original, like it ends in suicide and it's horrible. So they wanted to have some right. sort of hope, some sort of up, at the end of it, and but I don't know if you can take out like any of it I, I well don't know. i think it's... taking out the the slap of the daughter is almost sort of deleting that idea of like this is a cycle this guy isn't changing even after yeah. fully like having death you know i mean like well, nothing will change him he's awful well you yeah. know what this is kind of reminding me of everyone's having the conversation right now about the the new movie don't look up which i watched and i right. really enjoyed but the conversation people are having is the thing about movies like this is the people that need to see them aren't watching them and if they do watch them are they getting the message they need to get and i think that's another reason why carousel is so precious to so many people because sure. i can say for growing up in the midwest people love carousel because it's a big pretty lovely musical with big pretty songs they're not thinking about that's the thing the underlying like, messages or the big right. in your face messages most of the time people do carousel because of the score and the name yeah. you and i think now especially in 2022 especially this last decade of, of things we we are now able to especially as artists look at it and say why am i doing this show and if i'm gonna choose to do carousel i better fucking have something to say and i better say it correctly 
so that the people who do come see it that need to see it or who could get something out of it will walk out with a new perspective. But I think you're right. See, so like, I saw it recently. I'm going to say the theater because I think it's worth saying everyone in it was phenomenal. I saw Carousel maybe five years back at Music Theater West mm. uh, in Long Beach. I think it's in Long Beach. Um, and the Julie Jordan, uh, her name was Amanda. She was phenomenal. It, it was all very good. But you start looking for the like, okay, are they going to like give in to what this needs to be or are they going to just put up the musical mm-hmm. mt west unfortunately just put up the musical to the boring. point where like it was boring <laughs> it was like all the costumes were just same as always like it's just this kind of and i was just like why do it and i say this on the podcast all the time but like why tell the same stories without a different voice and i like, think why? that's where the that's where the 2018 revival broadway revival by jack o'brien fell short because they kind of sanded over that yeah. Mm. And you know, it was up for like all of the Tonys yep. and it didn't win shit. It, it, it only won uh, Les, uh, supporting actress. Leslie Mendez, Lindsay Mendez, Lindsay Mendez, and won Justin and Peck it. for choreography. Oh shit, choreo. That's right. It won two. So it's sort of like, like people want to see it, but then like, did it do what it was supposed to do? Not really. They kind of just put it up again, you know? So I. I think it takes really adept actors. I think it takes an entire staff and cast knowing why they are telling the story and what they want to say with it. Um, well, Nicholas, but I, of that, it's the, difficult. The English National Opera production in, in 94, directed by Nicholas Heitner and choreography by William McKinley, they really dissected it, you know, I think because they brought it back to its European roots. Yeah. which it was, mm-hmm. and they didn't shy away from that, and that's why it went so. It did so well at Lincoln Center, and that was kind of like the big revive of Lincoln Center because after that, Lincoln Center did South Pacific and a lot of other kind of grand scale um, musicals, and they were really, uh, you know, kind of came back to the bigger picture, but they weren't afraid to shy away from. I almost think it that. would be better if they went with that old darker ending. Like I almost feel like it would be better. Oh, if for sure. There's even more in That's a the original show. Lilium where the the you know she's saying you know, is it okay that he hits me and and I think that her cousin's saying you know he's gonna beat you and beat you and beat you and beat you and, and cool. Rogers, they were like maybe we shouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I mean I get also yeah. that they were trying to make you know entertainment more than anything, right? They sure. were they are sure. trying to push buttons and like and ch- change minds, but they're also doing that now. It's also the end of war. Right. right. And I that's true. <laughs> World War Two has just ended. And I will say, like, I, I do think if we were in the brains of R and H back then, we would we they would pro- we would probably hear them thinking something to the tune of like we want them to like Billy though at the end, right? You know what I mean? I mean? Like I can I feel them that... wanting us to kind not like him, but at least embrace him and sort of understand him better. Now I think it has to be only about understanding him, not embracing him, but being like, I, I see why you did it. You're still a fucking horrible person. I see why you think you're justified in doing justified, what you yeah. did. That's an interesting uh, it, story it, to me. Yeah, and and you know, it it doesn't quite give you that like it doesn't give you any more than he was he was a a carny he was a barker at a carnival and he was really into the carousel which in the movie there's it's 
it is so horribly shot that it's like the show is called carousel give me a good carousel like give me a good carousel. yeah and why and <laughs> right, why right. is why is it called carousel uh yeah, yeah, right. I mean, my, I, I mean, it's because it's a. If really, I had to give an answer based on what we've been poster. talking about, it's a great name for a poster. That's true, but if I had to give an answer based on the things we've been talking about, it's because it's a thing that goes around and around. It's a cycle. It's something cycle that doesn't of change. abuse, y'all. The carousel cycle of, abuse. of abuse. I'm just um, saying. If that's good, I like that. Um, yeah. If I could give one positive plug for that old movie, is the fucking dance breaks in it. There was a point in June is busting out all over where I yelled, "That guy just did ten pirouettes." Ten, yeah. ten. <laughs> and the, lots I, of and, shirtless man dancing. Like yeah. it's a lot. It was, of fun. Well, it was Agnes. Demille, uh was it Demille? Okay, did, did the choreography. but that dream ballet was also gorgeous. Another the dream stuff, ballet, y'all. All, all the stuff. On I the, like this on dream beach. ballet better. Oh, the, the 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 pas de deux yeah. is one of the best. I think it's better um, than the Oklahoma one. Yeah, Com- compositionally, one of the most beautiful things in any musical theater score is that yeah. pas de deux. It's, Phenomenal. It's it. It was just and and it was the only thing that looked good in that movie. And I remember I I remember we had when I did it way back in the day, we had a, our, one of our ballerinas, one of the dance majors had was selected to, to play that part. And she just nailed it. It was really gorgeous mm. visually to watch like off stage to the side and all that. Um, can uh, I, I, I was just going to digress very quickly and to talk about some of the gender stuff, a lot of slut shaming. Um, oh yeah. And it, and, and and uh, in uh, When the Children Are Asleep, Jigger and Carrie are talking about, oh, yeah, when I get you pregnant, uh-huh. she's like, you'll get bigger and bigger. And she'll be like, so will my figure. Yeah. It's a little bit a of, lot of that. Wait, the women should be barefoot and pregnant in the kitchen, honey. And right. you know this. I mean, and we're also talking Just about how society was treating everything carousel times y'all well and there's there's a degree of the nostalgia and also sort of old school perspectives that are forgive me i need to correct myself i meant enoch snow not jigger enoch (laughs) right enoch yeah jigger is a character though um and um the need of that generation of the great generation uh to sort of uh, hunker down and to reaffirm sort of old ideas of men and women and family in America and all that kind of stuff. Uh, that was also very much part of it. They were keenly aware of what was happening in the war. In fact, when they went to do the original Broadway casting, they wanted to use mostly unknowns and had a very difficult time finding men who could sing, dance, and act because they were anybody that physically capable was at war. Um, sure. So it was an interesting time. You know, we've talked a lot about nostalgia and I, I get prickly about nostalgia, but I think it was also a huge nostalgia time for America in terms of holding on to norms. Sure. Yeah. Thank, I thank hear you that. for my digression. What are y'all some, <laughs> some of y'all favorite uh, songs? What's your favorite song? Just give me your top song. Oh, you'll never walk alone. That was the one that I knew. You'll already. never walk alone. Is... You'll never walk alone. I hate is that the song. One... That's the one that is because I pretty. <laughs> He's joking. Uh, literally... No, I'm not. I'm not. It's it's the most boring song. But uh, I love it. I, as a kid, I. But then now, when I when I saw Stephanie Blythe sing it in the Lincoln Center production that you're talking about, 
yeah. tears. In tears. context, it's definitely tears. I will say this: that's the song that because it's Liverpool FC's like like anthem. Yes, correct. They right. like sing it at nice every game. Nice pull, shit, right? Bailey. Nice. Yeah, I knew that. I don't know why I knew that. But I will say this: <laughs> football club of, of Liverpool. But um, I will say uh, this is the song. That when I watch Carousel, I go, this is the greatest showman song. This is the song that was engineered to make mm-hmm. me feel mm-hmm. things, it, even though it's not sure. really doing anything. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it's 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 a very, um, uh, it's engineered to, ma- to be emotional, to make well, me I, sad, to make uh, well, me cry. And of course uh, yeah, we're going to cry. That's the song that's made it out. It's like, before I ever knew Into the Woods, I knew that that one song, um, No More Giants, They that was a big song during the Oklahoma City bombing. So right, like, it's right. just one of the songs that made it out and has been used for other manipulative musical things as well. <laughs> True. I'm a huge fan of If I Loved You. I sang it oh, at, um, in a so scene good. study class in college. We had to do like full scenes and I didn't really even know Carousel super well at the time. And I got Billy and someone else was playing Julie Jordan. And we did the entirety of the scene from the original production, like from start to from you're a queer one, Julie Jordan all the way through, you know, and it was, um, it's hard. That's a hard ass song. Yeah, for sure. This, this score is, is, has been done by opera houses. I think this is probably yeah. the yeah. most operatic score, especially the soliloquies, is you can't just do no, it. No, and breath. I mean, what's he hit there at the end? Like it's it's a it's a crazy It's an A. Is that an A? <clears throat> I mean, it's 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 crazy. It's a high tenor <laughs> note. Um but he's a baritone. The character's a baritone. And like that's Right. That's why it's so cool. Like it is good. I have to say that the song that stayed with me after doing it was clam bake. And I think it was just because it was the entire cast. I just, it makes me laugh and it makes me smile. And, and it's probably not really my favorite, but it's the one that I remember the most. I, I enjoyed all the JFK accents. That was pretty fun. Warm outside. Um, okay. gonna be warm next. Remember, do, do y'all remember the um, when I don't know if you see, must have seen this on YouTube or something, but Leslie Uggam sang "June Is Busting Out All Over" at a Fourth of July special, wow. and she went up on her lines. She was like, "June is busting out all over the lights and in Jackson got a gym. The oh, hitses no. and the hooses and the whatses and the heeses." <laughs> you haven't seen that? Oh, it's no, it's, that's amazing. Wow. No, but nice Leslie it. Uggams reference. Yes, yeah. thank you, oh, thank you. Was, <laughs> I used uh, to watch. That, I think was in the early two thousands is when that happened. She had a variety show, and they used to, there was a weird channel that we had when I was growing up in Florida. That would reshow. She only, like she did like, maybe she did a season or two of the show, but they would show it like every night. And so I would watch <laughs> the Leslie Uggams because I was just fascinated by oh, like, the seventies variety shows. Like they just don't she's do them like that anymore. Yeah, and she's astounding. I sang for her at the O'Neill. Yeah, did cool. you really? That's awesome. Me, um, of course well, she I did. was a, I was a I was a cabaret fellow, and she was there as our special guest, and. She was like, you sang beautiful, honey. I was like, Leslie, I'm <gasps> And you sing June is busting all out all over, please. <laughs> like, mess it up version. again for me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, um, I love, I love, 
Um, you're a queer one, Julie Jordan. Mr. Snow. His Sorry. name is Mr. Snow. And if I loved you, like, what's the use of wondering? It's just so beautiful. The soliloquies, probably, soliloquies, other than, yeah, other than um, uh, my favorite things and getting to know you, which we'll talk about, um, right. King and I, actually getting, yeah, we'll talk about it later. But if but... we're being honest, if I'm listening to musical theater on Spotify, if most of these songs come up, I'm hit and skip. I'm going to be straight up. <laughs> but the, 94, the 1994 revival... Uh, that, that one's great with Audra McDonald and Lindsay Mendez. Yeah, that one's insane. no, 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 no Lindsay, that's not Lindsay Mendez. That's the later one. Who was Sally, the... Sally Murphy? Sally Murphy. Uh, yeah, Michael Hayden. Fuck yeah. Okay. Uh, gotta, Shirley Verrett. You know, I gotta say because I've heard from Tay Diggs. Diggs. Here's in the ensemble. I've heard from a couple people that Carousel is like one of their favorite soundtracks of all time when it comes sure. to musical theater. And I realize that maybe I'm a little precious. I still like Sound of Music way better than Carousel. I Maybe it's because I know it way better, but I there I are mean, so writing many songs wise, and sound of music that immediately bring me to tears. True. I think like Keila said though, like writing wise, I think the stuff that they're doing in Carousel with you know, it, it has that Brahms kind of feel where they're being a little more classical. Very emotive, the, yeah. Yeah, and there's a lot to it. Sound moody. of music is like is almost moody. even more greatest showman where it's like, no, this is engineered for you to fucking live for it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, but we're singing every about, one of these songs. Every but we're also running away from Nazis. So it's yeah, exactly. a little bit. I love Sound of Music. And, and Edelweiss, yeah. Edelweiss was um, Hammerstein's last lyric that he wrote. Wow. Which Edelweiss gets me even harder Beautiful. now since we're sinking into fascism of course. currently. And it was of course. one of those, it was one of those, like they had written the musical and they were like, the captain needs a song. So that we can that understand how special music is. I know it is. It's like that. Plumber. Oh, <laughs> uh, plumber. Uh. You know, and most of these have that that song that's like, okay, this they need a song. And same with King and I, which will come and which we'll talk about later, because there was a song in South Pacific that was cut that they brought to the King and I, which I'll talk mm. about later. So yeah. Do you think we'll lose Angela Lansbury before we lose Julia Julie Andrews? I don't want to talk about it. Yeah. I don't I mean, think just... she's gonna die. Ever? Okay, perfect. Neither <laughs> of them. Betty probably White just will. died no, and she was think... never gonna die. She well, she's ever... alive. There that's all alive. She's, <laughs> a, she's, she's on she, an island. Like somewhere. Jeffrey Epstein is still alive. <laughs> exactly. They're living together in a Golden Girls style oh, apartment. They, <laughs> they, they they put her they put her in crime. In their own little corner in, <laughs> in their, their own little chair. chair. Um real quick, let me read a, a quote by Sondheim and then we'll get out of here. Stephen Sondheim noted that uh the duo of Rogers and Hammerstein, who uh, were Rogers, was sort of his mentor in some yes. way, right? Later, was in his literally life. Um, his mentor. I would literally. say Hammerstein. Hammerstein was. Hammerstein was right, right, right. Um, but um, he says that their ability to take the innovations of Oklahoma and apply them to a serious setting uh, was sort of incredible, and that Oklahoma. This is the exact quote: Oklahoma is about a picnic. Carousel is about life and death, hmm. but they live in the same world, right? So I think we've talked about Oklahoma. I don't love Oklahoma. I think it's an it's one of those things that could just die and we'd all be fine with it. I think. Oh, it's, I can't wait to see the tour that's coming though. Right, the, the tour is about to go Bible. through. I think there's not even really a take on it anymore that I think is worth it. I've seen the Oregon Shakespeare Festival. I've seen the oh, like everybody's doing it. They're doing. All these takes. At the end of the day, it's about how white people feel like it's their birthright to live in America, and I hate, fucking hate it. 
Um, can't say no. Can't say Amen. no. Can't say no. Right. But um, is there anything else y'all want to say specifically about Carousel? Because the next week we're gonna talk South Pack. The next week we're gonna and next week we're gonna step through their entire chronology. So we'll get to say everything we want to say about Showboat and everything else. It'll be great. Well, Showboat's not both of them, but we'll still no. talk about Showboat. Mm, okay. Showboat. Um, no, I just I I. I I just walk away with total mixed feelings about this. I love so much of the music, so many of the songs. Um, the composition just is awesome. I just, I just don't know how you fix it, really. Like in this day and age, I think that somebody would have to completely reinvent the story and and make it something else. My two cents. Uh, I challenge a theater maker, a group of theater makers to do a production. I'm excited to hear what your friend has to say, Bailey. I challenge someone to go out there. I, cause I don't think it has to be changed that much. I just think it needs to be directed and performed differently. I would love to see that musical. Agreed. And I also think we've talked about so many plays that I would say the same thing about CJ, uh, body awareness by Andy yeah. Baker. Something that I think one person could read, not that I'm saying you did this, Scott, but one person could read and go, I'm offended by this, I don't like this, they're trying to make me like this guy. And someone else could read and be like, oh, I totally get that they're just showing a person and, and questioning their intentions and questioning why they are the way they are. I think it's, I I, I think you're right, Siege. I think there is a way to do this musical. Show I me, just theater community. Show I just don't me. know what it is, yeah. And I think that's what Scott's saying. Is like, I just don't know where to do it. Yeah, <laughs> I don't I know what don't makes know. it I, good. I haven't seen a version that that has stirred me other than individual moments and individual songs. And I I think that maybe the potential's there, but I don't quite I I disagree with you, CJ. I don't quite see it. How dare that, you? I don't quite see it. I've I've never I I think maybe one reason why I love it so much is that I've actually never seen a professional production of it. Other than the Lincoln Center version that they did in 2013 with the incredible Stephanie Blythe as Nettie, I'll just say that again. Right, right. She was lovely. Uh, who, I mean, wow. I mean, her singing You'll Never Walk Alone and just seeing Kelly O'Hara's tears like coming down. Anyway, yeah. but I was in a production, a community theater production of high school students when I was in high school. I played Jigger Cragen and... You know, we did it at a Presbyterian church. We didn't talk about abuse at all. We just sang the songs. It was more of like a review. And the guy that played Billy Bigelow, he was a senior in high school, and he was the stiffest actor <laughs> on the planet. <laughs> and you had no, you know, you had no, he had a pretty tenor voice, but it literally was just deer in the headlights singing oh, no. a soliloquy. So it just didn't really, uh, and, and, and at the time, the, you know, I was listening to the soundtrack from the 94 Lincoln Center production. So that and Audra McDonald. So like it was magical, mm -hmm. you know, those ideas of Broadway to me. So that that really captivated me. And the, and the score has just been um, part of my part of my being for so long. And Sondheim does say Carousel is the best score. King and I is the best book. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Interesting. Love that. I can, I can hear that. Um, okay. That was it. I think I, I think we're we're done. We're yeah. done. Yeah. Part one. Does we're any done. Do, there is one more thing we do every episode that I'd like to check in on before I close this out though. Uh, does anybody have any LA Spotlight. LA Spotlights. Do you have anything you need to uh, pitch plugs? Kilo Kilo, you got anything coming up? I am co-directing The Winter's Tale with <laughs> 
of the Blair Baron Larson and Julia Walker Weissen at Shakespeare Youth Festival. That'll How's be that going? March. That'll be in March. It's fun. We have a lot of great students with very different takes on gender identity and yes, cool Shakespeare. Do you have cool. Oz in that in that cast? Oz is in the cast. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Very cool. Very Oz cool. is yeah. playing Autolycus, the kind of comic. Ah, oh, uh, right Very yeah. cool. Um, anyway, so we we love our students at Shakespeare Youth Fest. I, none of them listen to this podcast. <laughs> um, but we should have on Blair or Julia sometime. They'd be really fun on this podcast. They would have. They have so much to say and so much history in the theater world and 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 in L.A. Blair specifically. Blair Larson is is. Met, she's a legend. She's, she's a legend. I mean, LA. she's Penny Marshall's old best friend. You know, like she was in um, Magic Castle. She's Legacy. Magic Castle fame. Yeah. Like her whole family and shit. Like she's in the she movie. She was in Silk Stockings. In the 90s. Right. And what's the? She's uh, in the movie League Babylon Five. Babylon yeah, Five. She's all she over the place. Anyway, we love her. Seinfeld. That's right. She was his his girlfriend for for a few few episodes. Um. We love her. We love Shakespeare Youth Fest. Uh, thank you for joining oh, us. I have a shout out. Oh, and a little oh, new music. A little new music. And a little new music is back in March as well. Okay, okay. we'll post Cap- that on our Insta. Cap- Go ahead, yeah. Scott. January twenty eighth at Sacred <gasps> Fools Theater, uh, Idris Goodwin's "How We Got On" is going to be opening at Sacred Fools. We, yeah. as of today, Woo! as of right now, it's opening on January 28th, but we'll, we'll see. Um, but it's a, a, a lovely cast, and if you know the show, it is a lovely, awesome, fun, coming-of-age show. If you're my age and you were into early hip-hop in the late 80s, um, it is a, a love letter to early hip-hop. And the story of young people finding their voices and finding their art and finding their friendship. And so... Uh, tickets go on sale soon. Keep an eye out for sa- at sacredfools.org for more information. Thank you. The cast is all like I- really gorgeous. Every single mm-hmm. one of them is like beautiful. And then the the artwork is freaking cool. Yeah, it's Zach our friend Brown. Zach Brown. Shout out to He's Z- very Zach talented. Brown. Shout out to Z Brown. Um, who's also Zach an actor and a performer. And that's how we... Um, yeah. Uh, we found him, and he's going to be working on all the projections. There's going to be cool projections. He and I show. used to do choreography together. See, um, small world. Uh, and I, um, I just got good news today. I had two shows opening up at Loft. One was supposed to open last weekend, and one was opening at the beginning of next month. And they've been postponed, but I just got dates for one of them, so they're going to be coming in March. So I'll wait to plug those then. Very cool. And uh, sadly, I can tell this now because we have uh, sent out our email blast to everyone. But uh, oh, yeah. Pasadena Playhouse, unfortunately, has to cancel our production of Teenage Dick. Shut we're, up! Um, no. no, we're really ex- sad about it. I'm uh, sorry, Bailey. Mike oh, Lou no. uh, is the playwright. I think we should cover him at some point. He's got some great works. This um, is, is a hard hit. It's really sad because it's a phenomenal show. Uh, it's... Richard III set in a high school, and the lead um, actually has cerebral palsy, and it's it's this really phenomenal thing. Um, COVID is just too much of a problem. It's a it's you know we have um, ADA needs in the cast. We'll yeah. probably having a lot of uh, you know ADA need people coming to the show. Like it's just it it doesn't really make sense for us to put it up um, right now, and so we're streaming it. 
Uh, anybody who's already got a ticket or anything will get the streaming, all that kind of stuff. It's going to be great. They've already uh, filmed it at the Huntington. It's beautiful. I watched the first mm. few minutes of it. I was like, oh, this is great. It's like an 11 camera shoot. So it looks better than Hamilton. Um, it's very good. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, it's like theater is a priority in our lives, but it's not a priority to kill our lives. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I think that's real. And I think, yeah. you know, a 99 seat theater right now with a mask on, sure. A 600 seat theater with a mask on, I don't know. Like, that's when I start getting a little bit like, uh oh. So that's why we had to do it. I totally understand it. But um, we still will be still doing Anne, starring Holland Taylor, uh, written by Holland Taylor. Um, yeah, yeah. that's going to be phenomenal. That's also on Broadway HD. Broadway but if you're HD, in the area, y'all. don't watch it on Broadway HD. Come see it. Um, I want to yeah. see that. Okay. So thank bad. you. Yeah. It's so good. It's, I can't wait. It's I can't so wait. Good. Um, but thank you. Thank you all for joining us for part one of three of South pod Civic. Join us next week for part two, and then we'll close it out in part three. Part two, we're talking about South Pacific, the namesake of this miniseries. Uh, and then do we know what is the first theater, theater, and stuff that we're going to be doing after this miniseries? Is it an and stuff or is it a bonus series? It's plays that are... <gasps> That's what it is. Yeah. yeah. Guys, our fir- we're, we've <laughs> circled back. We started it in season one. We're doing a bonus miniseries on plays that have been made into movies. All right. We'll have Pam Eberhart back on. Pam Quinn. I don't know what she wants to go by. Oh, God. She's got a bunch of different names because she does a bunch of different art and puts a different name on all of it. Her name's Pam (laughs) Quinn. She writes the song (laughs) that you're going to hear at the end of this. I'm pretty sure she did an R&H medley for this. (gasps) Yeah. I love it. Which is fantastic. She's a medley genius. Yeah. She's phenomenal at that. So um, we're going to put that at the end of the episode. And... We love you guys a lot. Yeah. That's all from me. Do y'all have questions or comments? I want to hear your comments on Carousel. So please contact us. You can email us. You can also reach us on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. Scott? A uh, big shout out to Ryan Thomas Johnson, who writes our theme song. Our theme song is better than your theme song. Yeah. It's true. It's really true. It's so true. Uh, thank you. Uh, he also writes all of our stingers and he's an amazing human being. Big shout out to Pam Quinn for writing our uh, Rodgers and Hammerstein centric song for this series. She contributes so much as Bailey was just saying to our show and we love her and we worship her. And finally to the great Pulitzer Prize winning Annie Baker who writes every single one of our episodes and doesn't even know it. One day Annie Baker we're gonna buy you a beer. We sure are. Wait. Thank you, Keela, for being here. Thanks, Thank Keela. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yes. I love You're welcome. talking Any musical fucking time. with you. But we'll yeah. see you next week. We're not even worried about it. Can't wait. We'll Can't get wait. you back. Um, please go rate, subscribe, and review. It really does help. Uh, mouths and butts do happen to be the same thing and are somehow related to Jesus, but I don't remember why. Blah, 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 blah. Blah 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 blah. Totally fucked. That's from Spring Awakening. Later, everybody. Bye. Bye. Spring.